is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, and verses 27 to 56. Now, listen to the Word of God. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of that robe and put his own clothes back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man from Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. Over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. 
when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Tonight, we observe Good Friday. We remember this day in which Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples, who for a handful of silver turned him over to the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. After questioning Jesus, Pilate found no guilt in him and sought to release him. But the Jerusalem crowd, having been provoked by religious leaders hostile to Jesus, called for his crucifixion. Pilate, in a precarious political situation, vainly tried to free himself of the mess and his own sense of guilt, but eventually succumbed to the wishes of the bloodthirsty crowd and handed Jesus over to his soldiers to execute the death sentence. Then, as you heard, Jesus was spit upon, stripped, humiliated, beaten, mocked, and eventually nailed to the cross. As he was crucified alongside two robbers, soldiers callously threw dice for his clothes, and the crowds continued to mock him, challenging him to come down from the cross if he really were the king, if he really were the son of God. From about, th from about noon until three o'clock, as darkness hovered over the earth, Jesus endured the pain, the mockery, and the sense of utter abandonment. The last words Jesus spoke according to the Gospel of Matthew were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we meditate, as we meditate upon the cross tonight, it is hard not to be reminded of the many who have died in recent months all alone, feeling similarly forsaken. Some of my minister colleagues have shared about how they have not been able to hold proper memorial and burial services during this time and how that has added to the anguish of the families. Flags in New York and New Jersey have flown at half mast as we approach nearly 2000 COVID-19 related deaths in our state and over 100,000 deaths now worldwide. By now, many of you probably know of someone you've known personally die from COVID-19 related causes. I had a rather early reminder of death linked to the coronavirus. Back in February 27th, the day before, uh, the day after Ash Wednesday, a friend of mine called from Japan to inform me that her father had died from the virus. At the time, Japan had only reported a handful of deaths, and I just read earlier in the day about a man in his 80s who had died. Little did I realize then that that news was about her father. She shared how they had to cremate his body right away and how distraught she and her family were as they were not allowed to be near him 
and could not say their final goodbyes. The thought of leaving our loved ones alone for the final moments of life is painful to think about. It's a time that we especially want to be close. And so we remember tonight that on Good Friday, Jesus also experienced the anguish of being alone with the added anguish of being abandoned by his friends. Jesus, whose very life exemplified communion, fellowship, who though he was in the form of God, emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, who for us became truly human to be with us. And yet at the time of his death, he is separated from God and also from his disciples and cries out all alone, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We must never romanticize the crucifixion, never forget, and certainly never make abstract or only symbolize the suffering that Jesus endured for us. One author described the horrors of the cross in this way. The unnatural position made every moment painful. The lacerated veins and crushed tendons throbbed with incessant anguish. The wounds inflamed by exposure gradually gangrened. The arteries, especially of the head and stomach, became swollen and oppressed with surcharged blood. And while each variety of misery went on, gradually increasing, there was added to them the intolerable pang of a burning and raging thirst. The physical pain was unbearable. That was the point. The Romans used the threat of such horror to intimidate and keep people in line, to say this is what happens if you oppose the empire of Rome. Jesus suffered through it all. He was not exempt from suffering and death. It was not pretend. And on top of that, there was the additional agony of separation, of abandonment, of utter desolation that had Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a depth of forsakenness that will always be beyond our comprehension. From all eternity, Jesus had complete intimacy with the Father. And even as a human being, he enjoyed the presence of God more fully and deeply than any of us. In John 16, 32, he told his disciples, you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And in John 8, 29, he said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Unlike us, Jesus had always enjoyed the presence of the Father to the fullest. But now upon the cross, he feels forsaken and experiences the deepest possible pain of separation because he had known the deepest possible intimacy. Think about how much more you miss someone the more you love them. The deeper the love, the deeper the pain of separation. Because Jesus loved completely, the pain of separation was also more painful. I know that 
all of you now must understand in a much deeper way how difficult it is to be alone. Even if you are in a home filled with loving family members, you have come to realize that you need more than just your family. Even if you are a introvert by personality, you have come to understand that you still need people around you. Maybe you don't want to talk to them, but just to have people around you. Given our current experiences, I suspect I will never have to try to persuade you about the importance of community and fellowship again. The existentialist Sartre famously wrote at the end of his play, No Exit, Hell is Other People. This is often misinterpreted to suggest that people and relationships are terrible. But the quote comes at the end of his play after his three main characters have realized that hell is not a place of demons tormenting you with fire, but that they are forever stuck with each other. For Sartre, the existence of others and their judgment of you is hell because their existence forces you into a particular kind of being in response to them, and so you are never truly free. That, for him, was a trap of hell. I suppose if you were to be stuck for all eternity in all your fallenness and with the characters in that play, that would be a kind of hell. But it has also been made clear in a way few of us had imagined or experienced before that we need one another. We were made for community, for fellowship, even in all of our brokenness. In the first letter of John, which we heard over the last couple of months, John stressed the connection of life, of eternal life, and fellowship with God the Father and Jesus the Son and the fellowship with one another. He said that there is no life without fellowship with the Father and with one another. Life outside of community, outside of fellowship with God and with one another, is simply not imaginable and theologically impossible. In that sense, John would tell us that hell is to be without God, without others. Hell would be to be alone. In his cry, Jesus experienced this to the fullest. And yet in the midst of this pain, Jesus' words also point to something more. The question Jesus asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Also happens to be the opening line of Psalm 22. The Psalm may not be as familiar to us, but it's important to know the rest of that Psalm. For example, when we hear a familiar Psalm like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That first line triggers in our minds the rest of that Psalm. When we hear that the Lord is my shepherd, we also think, I shall not want, I need not fear, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because we know that psalm. That first line leads us to the rest of the psalm. In the same way, Psalm 22, the psalmist feels abandoned by God and is mocked by those surrounding him. But that is just the first line. He goes on to describe what he's going through with these words. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. 
My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sti sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It's hard not to think of the crucifixion in reading that psalm. And Jesus claims for himself this psalm, not just that first line, but the entire psalm, because what the psalmist experienced and described, Jesus is experiencing and fulfilling. And in reciting and giving us that first line of that psalm in his suffering, Jesus points us toward hope. Jesus himself has hope because the psalm does not end with abandonment, the sense of being forsaken. Jesus' last spoken words on the cross may have been, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But those words lead us to the end of the psalm, which ends with God hearing the psalmist. It ends with praise. It ends with rescue. Jesus is clinging to that promise in his suffering. Even as he cries out, why have you forsaken me? He knows that there is rescue and he points us toward that promise. And we know that promise of deliverance will be fulfilled on Sunday in resurrection. That is also our confident hope. But tonight, tonight, I want us to linger for a moment on this sense of abandonment, of being forsaken. Because of the situation we are in now, I wanna draw your attention to verse 55. For me, this verse just popped right off the page uh, this past week. It reads, there are also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. When Jesus was arrested and crucified, his male disciples largely abandoned him in an understandable, though disappointing, fear. But we are told that many women stuck around. It may be that the Romans considered women less of a threat and allowed them to be closer, ignoring them, or perhaps they were simply more brave. But the phrase that really stuck out for me is that the women there were looking on from a distance. Many women were there. They looked to the cross, but they were looking on from a distance. Love and faith kept them looking to the cross. But circumstances, including fear, perhaps confusion, sadness, had them looking on the cross at a distance. It seems to me that we share in their experience. And so tonight, let me make a reflection about looking on from a distance. The word in Greek for distance is makros. In English, we use this as a prefix in words like macroeconomics and macrophage. And it means large, long, or far. It's the opposite of micro. So from afar from a distance, at a distance. In Luke 17, 12, for example, 10 leopards 
approached Jesus, but they stood at a distance, macros, because they were considered unclean and thought to be contagious. In Luke 16, 23, in the parable Jesus told about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus, we are told, and in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham, Macross, from afar, and Lazarus in his bosom. It was a distance so far that it could not be bridged. Closer to our reading, when Jesus is first arrested, we are told in Matthew 26, 58, but Peter was following Jesus at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. Peter followed, but like the women, at a distance. He kept a distance to protect himself. Social distancing and distance learning are now a permanent part of our new shared vocabulary. We are all trying to get used to keeping six feet apart from one another. Whether it's standing in lines at the pharmacy or the grocery store, walking outside, and for some of you, even in your own homes, this has become our mantra. We do this not only to protect ourselves, but to protect others as well. We do it because of the fear of contagion. This fear, this idea of social distancing and quarantine are not new. It's been practiced throughout history long before there was an understanding of viruses and how disease spreads. In the Old Testament, for example, two chapters in Leviticus 13 and 14 are devoted to the threat of the spread of leprosy. If any member of the community showed a white or bright spot on the body, that person would be immediately placed in quarantine for seven days. Even their houses and their clothes had to be quarantined and checked periodically, and if it continued, it would be destroyed and burned. The appearance back then of a bright white spot might be just a benign skin discoloration, but it might also be leprosy, and they could not risk it spreading throughout the entire community. Much like today, when someone coughs, it could be a very innocuous cough. It could mean nothing. Maybe something got stuck in your throat. But because of COVID-19, we don't want to take any chances, and so we self-isolate and quarantine. Back then, the priests played the role of frontline public health officials and would inspect the spots after seven days. And if it had not spread any further, they would declare them clean and they would be allowed to rejoin the community. However, if it showed signs of spread, they had to remain isolated and keep their social distance and essentially live alone and even die alone. Sadly, it's not much different than what we are going through today. At a fundamental level, being at a distance from one another is a sign of our brokenness. And it is often this sense of distance, this brokenness, that keeps us from the love of God. In Luke 18, Jesus told a parable contrasting the parables between a Pharisee and a tax collector. 
the Pharisee, interestingly, stood alone and prayed boastfully, listing his own goodness. The tax collector, on the other hand, stood far off. Macros would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but pounded his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think there are moments in our life when the holiness of God becomes so particularly vivid or the ugliness of our own sins so overwhelm us that we can say nothing else than what Peter and others have said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinner. When the vision of God becomes clear, we recognize our unworthiness, even at our best, and we cannot imagine God drawing near. And so we stand at a distance and ask for mercy. We cry out to God, depart from me. Keep your distance from me. Asking for mercy is the right attitude. But God invites us to step closer. We are encouraged, for example, in Hebrew 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The cross makes it possible for us to draw near and to draw near with confidence, not because of our own righteousness, but because of his mercy because of God's love, which he proved once and for all on the cross. Maybe some of you are feeling at a distance from God today. Maybe like the women, for whatever reason or excuse, you are keeping your distance from the cross. But my invitation to you tonight is to come closer. In Matthew's gospel, the women stayed at a distance. But we know from the gospel of John that not all the women kept their distance. John tells us that standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Not everyone looked on from a distance. At some point, some drew closer to Jesus and they received another word from him. The word they received was to care for one another, to be a mother and a son to each other, to be the church, to be family under the cross because it is the cross and only the cross that makes this new family, this new beloved community possible. And that's my invitation to you. In this strange season, full of uncertainty and worry, of loss and fear, even as we keep to social distancing, I encourage you, to move closer toward the cross. Look to the cross and see the love of God. The promise is ever the same. For whosoever believes in Jesus shall be saved. Tonight, like those many women, 
We look to the cross at a distance, a distance of time and of space, and now with the added physical distance from each other. But like the women, we can look to the cross together. And like Mary and others, we can approach closer. And I want to remind you that even though they were at a distance, they were at a distance together. So even though we are not physically together tonight, I want to reassure you that you are not alone. The church is with you and the spirit of God is with you. God is ever near because the cross makes that possible. So that we need not be separated from God or from one another, not in this crisis, or in any other crisis to come. We can look to the cross together and know that God is with us. Tonight, we're going to end our gathering in silence and in darkness. It is Good Friday, but we are not without hope. Just as Jesus trusted God would save him, we also know that the resurrection awaits us. On Sunday morning, we will look beyond the cross to the empty tomb and beyond the empty tomb to the resurrection. So please join me once again early on Sunday morning and with the rest of the church at 5.30 a.m., for the Easter dawn service. And again at 11 a.m. for our Easter day service as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ together. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and always. Amen. <laughs>